Hello, everyone. Good evening. Good afternoon. This is Friday. It's been such a long week. I'm here with Celine Gallup. Celine, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Today was uh, very, very fun to cover. What, what did you think about it? It was a long day. It was certainly a long day. Before we get started <laughs> talking about everything that went on today, I also have another guest here, Tom Marazzo, uh, Freedom <laughs> Convoy. I don't know how to call him anymore. He testified under oath that he's not an organizer. He's not He's not the leader, I'd say, key, for, key, key person, key figure. Yeah, I just prefer volunteer. It's just, it's a, you know, in truth, all of us were volunteers. Right. Everybody was a volunteer. So to, to try to create these labels, what's the point? Every Canadian that went there voluntarily went to Ottawa for the convoy. Mm -hmm. No, you're, de you're definitely right. So I guess Tom Morazzo, key, key figure of the film convoy. And yeah, so uh, how are you doing, Tom, today? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, it's been a crazy, <laughs> it's just been a really bizarre week. And mm -hmm. this afternoon was uh, the, the, the icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. So just, yeah. just before we, we fully start, I've got a couple of things to, to get to, uh, Rebel News Live. So Rebel News is finally doing their live events once again, uh, after years of not doing them. Uh, we will have an event in Toronto on Saturday, November 19th. Um, and one in Calgary on November 25th as well. So that'll be definitely interesting. You'll be able to meet your uh, other Rebel News reporters. Ezra Levin is going to be there. Sheila Gunnery is going to be there. At the event in Toronto, I know that Tamara Leach is going to be there as well. Tom Razzo will not be there, unfortunately, from what I understand, because of Tamara Leach's great, amazing bell conditions. I don't allow <laughs> her to basically have basic freedom of speech. So, But you'll be able to hear from, from Tamara Leach herself. Uh, the tickets can be found at rebelnewslive.com. That's number one. Number two, um, Tom Razzo has a book. So I don't know if, Tom, you want to talk about your book a little bit? Yeah, we can talk about it. I'm, I'm still writing the book. Um I, I've, I've taken a little bit of a break from writing the book just because of my participation in the, in the inquiry, but I think the, uh, the witness list is going to allow me a little bit of a breathing room next week to, to get back and, and do some more writing. And, uh, yeah, so I, I'm looking forward to getting back to writing the book and, and for quite a while, I actually, I actually considered getting a ghostwriter because I was concerned about yeah. the time, but I, I just felt like I, I had to do it myself. Like I really had to write this in my own words. Um, and for quite a while, I actually struggled with even writing the book. I, I wasn't sure that it was just my story to tell. And I had some conversations in, uh, with some of the other volunteers of the convoy. Uh, and I kind of felt like I was in a sense, given I don't want to say the word permission, but mm -hmm. uh, uh, agreement that it was appropriate yeah. that I write my version yeah. of the book, right? So because... what's, what, what's the book about, basically? The book is about your... your... So I've got a couple of... Yeah, I, basically my, my experience. So I've got a couple of rules that I'm guiding myself when I write this book. And one is, uh, if for the most part, the rule is I got to treat it like a GoPro. So if I had a, if the GoPro doesn't see what happened... <laughs> It's not going to be in the book. Um, and After then the, the last few weeks, I think that's wise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I think the other thing is um, the book is not about uh, criticizing anybody. Um, if anything, the only people in it will be criticized would be, you know, obviously the government and their actions. Uh, and truthfully, myself. Yeah. Uh, for any of the the mistakes that I think that I made during the uh, the convoy. 
but there's no reason for me to cast anybody in a bad light. I'm just telling the the, the truth from what I remember, mm-hmm. what my recollection of the experience was. Yeah. Do you have a date in mind for yes. when that'll be released? Yes, I do. It'll be released uh, 14th of February, mm-hmm. which is the one year anniversary of the, the invocation of the Emergency Act. I love that. It's not because yeah. of, uh, what's the day? Valentine's. Uh, Valentine's. Um, and uh, the, the book is called The People's Emergency Act. And so I think it's an appropriate name for that because it, mm-hmm. a good friend of mine um, who was in, in Windsor, I found out after he was in Windsor and was arrested. And he, he said to me to, one day, he says, you know, the convoy was the People's Emergency Act because after two years, nobody was listening. And so I thought that was just a brilliant a insight and a yeah. great name for the book. So that's what it's going to be called. That's why that's why it's called the People's Emergency. Like, yeah. well, that that'll be a great book. I truly look forward to it. Uh, it's really in reading, reading about it. Uh, other things as well. If you guys want to chat with us, you can always go on Rumble or, or Odyssey and say, say, send paid chats. Uh, if you send if you send a couple, we'll be able to read them uh, at the end of the live stream. And also one last thing, Tom, you're only wearing a dress shirt today. Last time, last time we spoke on live stream, you were better dressed than me. We're having a great a great suit yeah. today. I, I have the tie. I have the suit. Yeah. Why, why aren't you wearing well, a tie today? Well, the thing is this, like the tie that you're wearing was the tie that I had on, I think, uh, at the beginning of last week. So <laughs> technically, I don't know. Yeah, well, this is, evidence of it's this. a great shirt, though. This is a great shirt. I, I do my monologues in this shirt because it's such a comfortable shirt. Yeah, well, it definitely is. Guys, comment down below in the comment section who you think is the better dress between <laughs> me and Tom. All right, let's get to what happened Don't today. Don't pick on seniors. <laughs> let's get to what happened today at the commission. Let's take a look at clip number one um, from Tamara Alicia's testimony. Let's take a look at that. Suggestion was made to have children leave the red zone. Seems pretty clear to me that you were given the message, right? I was never told I needed to leave. So the PLTs, uh, that's fabricated. I I remember when they came in and we had the discussion, um, and I, as it says, became very upset. I believe I said something to the effect of, I cannot believe that you're about to do this to your own people. We were there protesting peacefully. And I, the rest of that interaction, I, I was upset and I was crying and I, right. Oh my God. You were upset and you were crying because it was over and they told you to leave. I was upset and I was crying because of what they were proposing to do to Canadian citizens. And they told you to depart and they told you to message that to others. I don't right? recall them telling me to message that to others or that I was that I needed to leave. I'm sorry, you don't it remember? It was suggested. It seems to me your memory is selective. When I take you to something that implicates you, you have no Sir, memory of it. that's inflammatory. And I, if my friend wants to take the stand and become a witness and give opinions about credibility, that's fine. But uh, that's not a proper question, sir. So I guess, I guess we'll, we'll start with you, Celine. What did you make of Tamara's testimony today? Um... Yeah, okay. So today was day two of Tamara's testimony. Um, it was very impactful. It was um, 
exactly what I thought it would be. I mean, she was very precise and concise with what she chose to to speak about and talk about. And this particular clip that we just watched here, uh, how do you pronounce his name? I'm, I'll I will destroy it. Do you, the lawyer? The OPS? Yeah, lawyer. I, I'm not. I'm not entirely I sure. Thought, I thought he was quite cranky this morning and definitely had a bone to pick with Tamara, especially. I mean, that definitely was an inflammatory comment that he made there. I didn't see him make any other retorts to anyone else giving testimonies. So. Yeah, 100%. What about you, Tom? What did you make of uh, Tamara's testimony today? Well, during her cross-examination, because you were here, I think I think that she spoke to Tamara's testimony yeah. yesterday. Yeah, so there was, there was, I don't know, there's so many lawyers in the room, uh, obviously. I think there's like four rows of, of lawyers uh, yeah. on both sides of the room, and that particular lawyer, he comes up all the time. I, I Unfortunately, I don't know his name, um, but, you know, sometimes in, in, being a lawyer, I think you don't always have to be a great lawyer for your uh, for your client. Uh, and unfortunately, I, my feeling was that today maybe would have been a good day for him not to be such a good lawyer because he was really, really aggressive and mm -hmm. he was attacking on many different fronts. And if we, I don't know if we're going to get into talking about Chris Deering and Maggie, but uh, his his cross to them today was, uh, was quite, it was, it was yeah. quite offensive, but he, he, they're grasping at straws. Right. And from my perspective at this point, a lot of what you're hearing in the room, depending on which, which law firm you're dealing with or their client, they represent, this is all about lawsuits mm -hmm. at this point. We, some of these, these factions in the, in the room have moved away from the inquiry and they're now covering their butts because of the pending law for, uh, lawsuits. Yeah. So that was an example to me where he wasn't so much talking about the the uh, emergency act. Yeah. This is about future lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Well, I think that that's that's the reason why the OPS is there. I think that's the reason why yeah. uh, former Chief Slowly's counsel is there as well, is because they yeah. know there's going to to be something happening in the yeah. future. Yeah. The lawsuit between the OPS and slowly perhaps and even the OPP. That's I, I think that's the reason why they're all there. They're all there to defend themselves. And I, as we keep talking about, there's only a few parties that are there, including the commission and uh, the GCCF and yeah. the lawyers like Brendan Miller and yeah. Sheba that are actually there to figure out whether or not the Emergencies Act was used mm -hmm. rightfully and justified. That's right. Well, you know, what's interesting is, you know, I was there at the GHG20 summit in 2010. Mm -hmm. And to this day, there's still ongoing lawsuits. And we're talking 12 and a half years later. Mm -hmm. So that was one or two days as well. But we're going to be seeing lawsuits from, from this event in February going on beyond the next decade. It is, yeah, it is my personal experience from covering um, other court proceedings mm -hmm. that the wheels of justice grind and squeak and do anything but turn equally. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. well, especially right now with the, the the whole pressure was put on our justice system during the pandemic. Yeah, let's keep having trials about pandemic tickets because <laughs> you went to visit your family yeah. in their home. No, our justice system, the pandemic definitely showed um the how weak or strong if you want to put it that way yeah. our system system actually is oh no yeah right there's a bunch of stuff to get to in terms of tamara alicia's testimony let's get to clip number two um that we have today and you write we uh or the letter says we have made a plan to consolidate our best our, our protest efforts around parliament hill we will be working hard over the next 40 24 hours to get buy-in from the truckers we hope to start repositioning our trucks on Monday. And that's worded that way because at that point, the best that you could offer the mayor 
was efforts to get buy-in from the truckers, right? Well, we needed to go out and speak to them and talk to them about, about what we thought was going to be a good idea, yes. And it was important to you, I take it, to make clear that what had been agreed to was nothing more than moving the trucks out of the residential neighborhoods, right? It was a step one. Yeah. That's how I viewed it. It was, it was progress. It was the more progress than we'd seen since we, we arrived. Sydney? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was progress to me. There are so many pressures that we don't understand that uh, these appointed organizers, right, by the people were facing. I believe that it was progress no matter what. There was thousands of people there. Mm -hmm. Those trucks are not small. Like, there was a lot in terms of organization, in terms of how does one, I mean, I can't even think about driving a, a big no. truck, let alone, you know, no, I, trying to move it out under the, the pressures that uh, they were facing. So I think that it was indeed progress. And we still saw the kind of organizers being able to assemble the people and actually get the trucks to move to the location that they were supposed to move. Yeah. And the city still cutting out of the deals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think, you know, the, the operative word in that whole statement was the word hope. And, yeah. and there's another perspective on this as well. One, there was concrete barriers. Two, we obviously had challenges getting fuel to vehicles. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the fuel was meant just for the generators in the vehicles as well to, to keep people warm yeah. in the trucks. But the other issue is these are big pieces of, of equipment, right? Big vehicles. There's a safety aspect to this for the public yeah, and for the police officers around the vehicles and to the actual vehicle itself because you don't want those big expensive vehicles colliding mm -hmm. with things and and so you have to be very deliberate in your your movement of these things so you can't it's not like moving your little tiny honda civic mm -hmm. right it's a little bit more complicated than that i mean visibility is an issue when you're surrounded by the the public that are there to support mm -hmm. you safety becomes a real issue so you can't rush through this yeah and so that is that was a factor that we all had to consider with with this as well and then if you mix in bad weather because at one point we did start to get rain then we got freezing so there was ice then we got a snowstorm so there's there's a weather element to yeah. this as well and then there's nighttime Mm -hmm. Right. So visibility gets reduced at nighttime. So there's lots of challenges. So to say that we hope to get it done by a certain time, it's factoring in all of these different variables. You know, it sounds pretty simple when you break it down that way, almost like it's oh, like common sense. Like I can you do know, it in five minutes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> well, I, I think there's, there's the environmental issue, plus there's the fact that every trucker is its own sovereign being. Yes. Right. You, you, you couldn't just order them. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you to move the truck. You are going to move the truck. You had to convince them. You had to you yeah. know, have a discussion with them and you know, tell them that's the plan we have for cities that we're able to continue to peacefully protest <laughs> these authoritarian vaccine mandates. Yeah. If you do so, we will be able to continue demonstrating peacefully in Ottawa. How, how was that process like talking to people? Were they usually compliant or did you sometime, you know, fall on the cracks with some of them? Well, there was... There was challenges talking to some drivers and it and it really did matter who went up and talked to the driver. So mm -hmm. we we heard the evidence and this is true. This is why we sent Chris mm -hmm. Barber out there often to say, Chris, go talk to the guys yeah. and the girls 
and they would just comply. I mean, I'm not a truck driver. Look at the way I'm dressed, right? <laughs> I'm not going to go up there and have this instant rapport with with truck, truck drivers that have no idea who I am. But when you send Chris out to do it, it's easy. But there was occasions that, you know, Eva and I both for two hours sat in a, in a French-Canadian uh, guy's truck. And it was this pickup truck for two hours trying to negotiate with him and reason with him to, to convince him why you know, it was a good idea for him to move. Yeah. And, and so it becomes a challenge depending on who you are. Right. And it, yeah. it takes time to build rapport with people and get them to understand what you're thinking. And then even then to trust you. And we got that Eva and I got that trust that day and we worked for hours. And then the leadership of the OPS ruined the deal. And it wasn't slowly, it was an ind- one or two individuals in, in key positions that, that ruined the deal for everybody. And then we lost trust in the police. The yeah. police, what we saw in the testimony, said that we couldn't actually deliver. Well, we couldn't mm-hmm. deliver because you kind of screwed us. Yeah. Right. And it all that work was lost. Mm-hmm. All that trust that we built was lost. And so I don't want to say that these people were difficult. It's just that there was a history there that the Ottawa police had had earned of mistrust between the truckers on especially on that rideau corner Mm -hmm. because the police kept lying and tricking them to moving their vehicles so you couldn't trust them you know we talk about the deal because we've been talking about it for the past three weeks but there's some people that are only tuning in now to inquire can you tell us a little bit more about what the deal was yeah so we had a an arrangement with the city to to do our best to clear the intersection at rideau in um essex or Wessex, one of the two. It's, Sussex or it's something, something yeah. Like that, <laughs> yeah, Sussex, right, right that yeah. corner there, uh, to clear it. And and it was a it was a high priority for the city. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason it was a high priority for the city is one, it was within like view of the United States consulate or embassy. Yeah. Uh, there was also other business interest on that that intersection. It was a good like flow through route for them that that had an impact on buses and getting mm-hmm. to the Rito center for public transportation that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so you go there and if you look you would have realized why it became a priority for them and we were willing to do that and we were willing to try and help get the vehicles out of the more residential it's areas towards wellington to, and we wanted everything up on wellington from a tactical point of view and i and i use the term loosely okay but from a tactical point of view we knew that kind of put us in a weird situation for to make it easier for the police to sweep through like they did on the last two days. But as we saw, they cleared through anyway. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't a huge sort of giveaway for us. Um, and also based on the fact that the all the protesters remained peaceful. Yeah. I mean, the police could have swept through any time that they wanted. Yes. That was understood. Yes. But people also are talking about, and it was my understanding, that even just for the couple of days that I was there, there was a lot of rumors and speculation going on through like radio communication about potential dangers. And I believe that also halted them from being able to move on yes. a moment's notice because they were afraid. They're afraid when people came up to their windows, mm-hmm. if it was at night and they're being told to move. These yeah. are all pressures and dangers that they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. that I don't think anyone can understand except the people that were in those trucks yes. hearing those things. I mean, you're living in those trucks and, and truckers were in there for weeks. And what's interesting yeah. to know is that Ottawa citizens were taking them into their homes, letting them have showers and yeah. doing laundry and feeding them and stuff and giving them a break so they could sleep in a bed for the night. And there's 
there was a lot of resistance to moving off of that corner because it, it you know, the truckers weren't there for themselves. The yeah. individuals were not there for themselves. They were there mm -hmm. for their families and for their entire communities. Yeah. You know, when you're, you're sent off in this big grandiose parade from your community, you know that you're not going there as an individual. You're carrying your entire community mm -hmm. into, into Ottawa. And that was never lost on the people that were, were in Ottawa. Yeah. Never. And a lot of these people already felt like outcasts because yes. mm -hmm. they were there to protest the mm -hmm. federal mandates. Yeah. So they put themselves out even further in a more vulnerable position to be able to yeah. be there, be there for yeah. everybody. In, in a consistent theme that we've heard throughout this entire thing, when, when we've had a chance to, uh, to testify is everybody was, everybody knew that we were no longer welcome to participate in the society that, you know, we helped build. Mm -hmm. We were forbidden. We were ostracized. We were targeted yeah. by friends, families, neighbors, coworkers, definitely by Justin Trudeau, yeah. definitely by his bullhorn, the mainstream media. And we were deliberately targeted with hate speech, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, you know, they're looking at us as, you know, uh, an inspiration of hate. But leadership starts at the top in this federal government, and it came from the from Justin Trudeau's mouth himself. Mm -hmm. It said, "We will. How, why should we tolerate these people?" You know what I mean? Like this is the guy that was elected to represent the country. Mm -hmm. He started the rhetoric, and it just rolled downhill onto all of our backs. Yeah. And to this day, I still get called all sorts of vile things on social media by, by people that just seem to be so easily hypnotized by Justin Trudeau's nice hair, pre-haircut pre this summer, and the rhetoric that comes out of his mouth on CBC. Yeah. But even Tamara touched on it, you know, the fact that Justin Trudeau was using divisive words. Yeah to i don't know unite canadians that that's his role the prime minister is supposed yeah. to unite canadians and you're dividing the country you're dividing he's been doing it since he was elected even before he was elected quebec versus alberta yes quebecers are, are better than albertans okay well we should have more people in quebec then we should have people from alberta in our government that's what justin trudeau was saying even before he was elected justin yeah, trudeau divided right. a lot of people but i think tamara's testimony touched on a lot of things mm -hmm. and i was glad right after she ended her whole testimony and lasted nearly a full day because she did half of it yesterday and half of it today. Yes. Yeah, I was right. able to have a quick interview with uh, Eva Chipiuk, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the many lawyers for Tamara. Let's take a look at how uh, how my quick interaction with uh, with Eva, forever Eva, went. The best lawyer ever. <laughs> so can you can you just recap from what you saw, how, how much time you want for a... Uh... What did you see from Tamara's testimony? What's, what are the main takeaways? Well, it was really a, finally an opportunity for uh, Canada to hear the truth of what really occurred with Miss Leach for the time she was in Ottawa and preparations for Ottawa. Everything happened at such an expedited speed. It was incredible. The word organizer, I think um, she spoke to it, for me has always been very difficult. You, What happened? couldn't have been organized in a month's time. Basically, it was a day-to-day -day activity. It was just Canadians coming together for the first time in a long time, working together on a common goal, um, really to come together to talk about the overreach, the federal government, provincial governments, even municipal governments imposed on their citizens. 
and citizens came together on Parliament Hill to hold their government to account. And, and, you, and we finally heard the story from Miss Leach's side. You said she wasn't an organizer. Was she, was she a leader? How, how do you describe her role in the convoy? Because I think it's a little bit unclear. Yeah, and I think it's going to remain unclear <laughs> forever. Um, again, because everything happened at such a rapid pace. And even she mentioned yesterday or today, somebody asked her about how quickly the deal came together with the, the mayor. Everything was organic. Everything happened at such a quick pace. How do you organize something like that? It's virtually impossible. You're just living, you're in the moment, and you're doing what you can to ensure that, as she continued to say, things remain peaceful, um, everyone abided by the law, and that is what she advocated. If that's what she organized, peace, then I'll give you that one. And one last thing from me, can you explain why the OPS objected some of the evidence being presented in the panel that we saw earlier, the OPS, the Ottawa Coalition, the OPP as well? Yeah, so, um, and as Justice, uh, our Commissioner Rouleau has said many times, everything's moving at a very fast pace. So it was a procedural issue very lawyerly, as you saw. So there's rules of procedure and evidence. And they were objecting because that evidence, those videos were filed a little bit later in the game. Uh, it wasn't as late as what we saw with uh, Diane Dean's evidence that came in that morning, the recording. And we saw how the Commissioner handled that. He said, first, we want to know why this evidence is late and let's hear it first. So he kind of had the same um, procedure with uh, this evidence that came a bit later. It's all public information as well. This is stuff that's on YouTube. It's not some secret government document or organizational document that came about. So everyone had their cell phone, like somebody said today. Um, none of this is hidden evidence, but of course, you know, it's to be fair to all parties to have that evidence in advance. Perfect. Thanks, Eva. You're very welcome. Thank you. Eva, Eva, such a good lawyer. I feel like all, all of your lawyers are are excellent. But I, you know, I live I live with them all uh, right now for this this inquiry, and I have to say, every day is such an amazing experience with them. I mean, Keith and Eva and I and and some of the others, we spent every day together during the mm -hmm. actual convoy. That's right. And um, I, I've been in constant contact with them throughout the. Uh, you know, since the convoy, but now I, I live with Keith and, and Tamara lives with Eva and that's because of Tamara's bail conditions. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I, when I sit and I learn about how the lawyers think about the law and how they, their, their, their processes and stuff like that, I find it absolutely fan, uh, like just so fascinating to watch yeah and you know they're worse than I, I i said to him last night we were still up like 11 30 last night and i i realized they never stop like they never ever stop and it's brilliant to watch them and i if i was 10 years younger i would consider law school just so that i could work with these guys like as yeah. an actual lawyer i would do it if i was 10 years younger but uh, I don't want I don't want the uh, a law firm taking my training wheels off when I'm sixty, yeah. so I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Uh, but it is incredible to to be around these amazing lawyers, and and they're unusual lawyers, very very unusual people. Yeah. Because I remember when we were in the convoy saying, "What's with you guys? How come all your peers have like vacated?" Yeah. And uh, they said, "Well, this that's just because we're weird." I <laughs> it's, it's right. <laughs> weird in the best possible mm -hmm. way uh and they're here 
for their kids in their communities and for Canada. That they're not here for money. They're yeah. not here for money. No, of course. And just just before we move on to 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 more things, because there's so much to talk about, both from Tamara's testimony and the other testimonies that we saw today. Um, let's take a look at the clip where Tamara actually talks about what Eva just mentioned, because Eva mentioned a lot of things in our short interview. But one thing that she mentioned was the relationship that the convoy people had with the city of Ottawa <laughs> and the mayor, the level of government. So let's take a look at uh, what Tamara had to say about that. So it, the actual goal uh, with respect to uh, Freedom Corp, as well as uh, the, the protesters that you were representing, their actual goal was not to achieve a meeting with the mayor, but it was to uh, deal with this in a, in a peaceful manner. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Yes, well, that was obviously our goal. And, and again, to get the trucks off the residential streets. Um, we were hoping to find a way that the, the trucks that did have to move their vehicles out of the city uh, would have be able to come back in and, and continue the protest. And again, we felt it was a step in the right direction and meeting with the mayor was not one of my goals, but I thought, again, it was a way to open some dialogue with somebody in a position of authority. I think the, re the reason why it wasn't one of her goals or one of your, your goals, as a matter of fact, because you were here to process federal government's vaccine. Yes. Man, they had nothing to do with the municipal level. Uh, but did, did you guys have hope of being able to meet with the mayor? <laughs> I might be the wrong guy to ask that question. Um, it was, it wasn't my hope or my, it wasn't even my interest. Yeah. To meet with the mayor because I didn't see him as being of any value mm -hmm. to our cause. Yeah. I wanted to, me personally, I wanted to meet with a senior police officer mm -hmm. because I felt that I would have had a better chance of developing a relationship and a rapport with the people that we would be daily interacting with. Whereas the mayor was going to be sort, sort of out there on the, uh, the periphery and you wouldn't be able to trust him. And you wouldn't really, in, in by law, the, the politicians cannot direct police operations. So it was my goal was, mm -hmm. uh, and, and many of us, we had many discussions, was to always take the pressure off of the residents. And then we thought that if we take the pressure off the residents, they'll stop calling the politicians. The politicians will stop harassing the police chief. Mm -hmm. But you and I have been on doing these shows for, uh, what, we're on three day, years. Yeah, three uh, years. Three years, not sorry, three, three weeks. Years. Three, three weeks. Years. And what, um, what a long sure week. It's it's Groundhog Day. Keith Wilson said it's Groundhog Day today. I said, really? Because it just feels that way. Three so, years. Uh, anyway, three weeks. we've been doing this for three years. And in those three years that we've been doing this show together, uh, you being my co-host, we've been talking about the fact every day that nobody wanted to talk to us. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to talk to us. Yeah. We were trying to get the meetings with the right people. We're always trying to send the right, uh, you know, be safe, responsible, send that message clearly to the police. And in the highest ranking person we ever dealt with that I dealt with was on the police side was two sergeants. Mm -hmm. Right. And we got two meetings with the, the city manager. That's as far as we ever actually got like Tamara yeah. never met the mayor. It was, there was an intermediary between Tamara and the mayor. Yeah. So so they didn't even respect us enough to send their mayor. 
So I just felt like it, it was a, a, a colossal waste of time to focus on him. I thought, let's focus on the police. And that'll be the good interface yeah. between us. And we can we can work with the police, make it safe, responsible, consolidate all the vehicles onto Wellington. And that puts pressure on the federal government because the federal government was the only group in this city that had the power to end the mandates. Yeah. Wasting our time with the mayor was just wasting our time with the mayor. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. You like there was an amount of um, eminency. Yeah. Uh, that was desired, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, in order to get the attention for the right people, there was a lot of politicians talking at you, yes. talking at the movement and about us. Exactly. Yeah. So, what good did that do? Right? It's like hearsay. All you're going to do is just yeah. gossip and gossip, and and the misinformation that was spread didn't help anybody. Mm-hmm. That's been revealed. Not to anyone from um, the OPS, the OPP, nobody on the ground, not the mm-hmm. convoyers. So, why was it done? Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone was looking to deal or or to actually initiate talking to anybody. Well, wh- why was it done? I think it's it's yeah. pretty clear the reason why, well, why I, it was done. Why Without saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty obvious, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, the prime minister was—he uh, hid from us, which is weird because we expected. My my expectation right. was uh, because of two other protests in Canadian history, he had sent an envoy to talk to other protests. He had also taken a knee at BLM. He had also gone to London, Ontario, when that that uh, young disturbed man drove over that family, killed killing four people. Yeah, during a lockdown, I believe, or at least the height of the the masks. And, and close down an entire street like he he's very selective on where and when the virus actually was a threat to public safety yeah if it was for political gain the virus was something we could we could mitigate but for everyday canadians forget it right so there was i was getting phone calls to to deal with the city and i was like it's a waste of time our our objective is to get the meeting with the with the prime minister and we thought we naively thought he would at least send some sort of an envoy and he he just hid from us um like a coward and and not like a leader who actually wanted to hear the concerns of his own citizens Mm -hmm. because deep down i'm pretty sure he understands that he's been the most divisive figure in this country yeah and i yeah no for sure and i think um you know, well, first of all, the convoy was about federally regulated COVID-19 mandates. Yeah. That's what it was yeah. about at the end of the day. And I think there's one person who we can talk about in terms of years, it's Justin Trudeau, who's been hiding for seven years, who has been refusing to answer a single question for seven years. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think right now would be the right time for a break after, we, after we've been talking for three years. So let's go back. Uh, we'll, we'll see you guys in three years after this, this short break. Freedom in 2022 is your right to disagree with me anytime on anything in your heart, online, or in the public square. Freedom in 2022 is also your right to live your life however you see fit without hurting me or for that matter being bothered by me. But freedom in 2022 is in very real danger under constant attack by Justin Trudeau through his censorship bills, his attacks on gun rights, his attacks on farmers, and his attacks on peaceful protesters. These people have even tried to denormalize our flag. At Rebel News, we're not afraid to have dangerous discussions that Justin Trudeau, the media, and big tech censors say we're not allowed to have. And we want to have them with you at our upcoming Rebel Live events, first in Toronto, November 19th, and again in Calgary, Saturday, November 26th. I'll be there with dozens of other rebels and rebel-adjacent free thinkers, and I hope that you'll join us. 
Just go to rebelnewslive.com to get your tickets today. But do not sleep on this because these tickets are going fast. See you soon. All right, second testimony of the day. So th there was a little bit of drama before that second testimony because you saw the OPS, the Auto Coalition, the OPP all objecting to having mm -hmm. some of the evidence show, some of the videos uh, shown, even so the, the panel appearing mm -hmm. on the stand. Uh, what did you make of the testimony of Chris, Chris Deering and uh, Ma Maggie, Maggie ba Bauer? Hope. 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 Maggie Hope. Yeah. Um... Chris, Chris Deering has become a, a friend of mine since the convoy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I've heard the story um, about not only his his experience in Afghanistan when, um, you know, three of his his uh, team got killed in that LAV-3 because um, they hit an IED and his LAV-3 went 100 feet in the air, killed three of them instantly, flipped over. The turret fell out of the vehicle. Chris fell out of the vehicle, and it's a miracle it didn't fall on top of Chris. But he had fractured his pelvis, uh, bones in his face, his legs, everything. Like he's severe, and he's got a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's, there's that aspect to it. But when... And I've heard the story directly from Chris before about the arrest and, and what they've done. And I've seen the video, but I felt today that listening to that, uh, that testimony when he was up there on the stand, I, I really personally struggled with it. I, it took me everything I had not to walk out of the room. Yeah. Um, and I know Maggie's story as well. And it's, it's both uh, disturbing, but I, what I found really Really offensive was um, the OPS. How hard, how how vigorously they tried to block the the victim testimony that we had mm -hmm. uh, versus um, the the two individuals on the first day yeah. of the testimony that they are citizens, right? Mm -hmm. So they want to they want to put uh, their witnesses out there but they really tried hard to block our witnesses because they knew that it was going to be very damning for them. And so they, that lawyer tried very, very hard. And I, I knew it was going to roll our way when the commission lawyers actually supported our motion yes. to have it done. That's yeah. when I knew that the judge was going to, was going to uh, yeah. allow it yeah. to go forward because their job is to find the truth. And, and Chris and Maggie were a very important eyewitness testimony to the truth of what happened on those last two days. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think the judge realized you, you have to show uh, the full scope, not just people that were, that are claiming PTSD from phantom honking uh, in microaggressions. I was just going to say microaggressions. microaggressions mm -hmm. versus people that were literally beaten, uh, injured veterans that yeah. were wearing their medals, beaten, thrown to the ground, denied pain medication for their chronic illness, dropped off out in the country. And and a mother who was there protesting, giving copies of the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms to people that put a gun to her head. Right. This is the impact statements that were were this the city, uh, you know, Paul Champ and his lawyer plus the OPS really wanted to conceal yeah. from the public. They wanted to conceal that truth. And it was grotesque. Mm -hmm. And it's shameful. And I hope that those lawyers go home and have a good 
stiff drink mm-hmm. uh, and, and reflect on what they tried to to hide from the public today. Yeah. yeah. Or a really good, long, hard look in the mirror. In the mirror. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I was holding my breath when um, Commissioner Rouleau, it was going to be his, uh, he was going to either go for it or, or yeah. it was going to be dismissed. And I, I was literally on the edge of my seat in that yeah. media room because yeah. I was like this, if there is a line, we're yeah. going to see right now if there is a divide and if he sways to mm-hmm. to, to one side. That the lawyer, uh, his first name is John. He's the lawyer that cross-examined John me for Davis. the commission. Is that right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. He's the lawyer who cross-examined me for the commission when I went up. Yeah. Uh, I am absolutely impressed with him. And, and all of the commission lawyers were handpicked, I was told, by Justice Rouleau to, mm-hmm. to do the role that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I was, I have been absolutely impressed with him. Yeah. And, and I started to really pay attention to his line of questioning about a week ago. And honestly, I, I think I might have even been critical of Justice Rouleau's, you know, I, I bought into the rumors he was a liberal and I, I might have even tweeted about it. I and I regret that. I regret that yeah. because I've seen nothing but professionalism from Justice Rouleau yeah. and that team of commission lawyers. They are solely focused on the truth. And that is what they're pursuing. And I, I, I bought into what they're doing and I'm very, very impressed. I'm very proud of what they're doing and they're not even my lawyers, but I'm very proud of the work that they are doing to pursue the truth. Because as far as I'm concerned, they are the Canadian public's lawyer right now No, and they're doing a great job. Yeah, Yeah, I fully agree. I've seen nothing but professionalism from justice, justice rule and Mm -hmm. well, judge rule, commissioner rule. And you no, know, professionalism doesn't mean that you're fully nonpartisan. Professional uh, mm-hmm. professionalism doesn't mean that you have no political bias. Mm-hmm. Professionalism means that you're able to put your bias aside and actually do the job that you're there to do. Yeah. That's yeah. what professionalism is. Is and I understand the people that have doubt because it's true. In the past years, we've seen liberals, people that tend to be more on the liberal party side, show no professionalism. Huh. So I guess that's why people that's why people were expecting yeah. Justice Rule to be the exact same way. But I don't think that's what he's shown us since the beginning of the commission. Uh, since we're talking about Chris Deering's testimony, let's let's take a look at some of what he had to say today. I used to come and I gave myself to the police, and as the police took me down. Again, he knew he need me in my side, kicked me in my back. I was laying down. I was in the fetal position on my back. He kicked me in my ankle, my foot. As I was laying down, I had my hands completely up. I'm saying I'm, I'm very peaceful. I'm peaceful. I'm not resisting. I was then punched four or five times in my head. I had a knee on my back to keep myself down. I was on the ground for one and a half to two minutes. My hands were zip tied. The officers slowly picked me up, and then we slowly proceeded to the processing line. We get to the processing line. The day was minus 20. I had no gloves on. At the beginning of the processing line, we were standing there, and I had asked, so, and, sorry, the, the duration of the processing line was one and a half to two hours. So I was standing there in the cold for two hours. I asked the policeman who was on both sides of me, I said, do you mind, you know my conditions, is it okay if I sit or kneel because I'm in chronic pain? It was obvious, my face was flush and I cried multiple times and I don't cry ever. I was, it was the worst pain I had felt since I'd been blown up. The fact that I couldn't sit or stand 
was to me cruel and unusual punishment. We would go 15, 20 minutes without even moving. I also asked if I could have my medication in which I had my prescription and my medication on my person so that if I needed it, I could ask. I asked and I was denied my, my, my medication to comfort my duress. Oh, this, this is a testimony of a man who is willing to die for, for our country. This is a testimony of a man who is willing to sacrifice himself for the greater good of the people of Canada. Mm -hmm. And this is how those veterans are treated mm -hmm. in Justin Trudeau's Canada. You know, I, I remember before Justin Trudeau became prime minister, or maybe after he was elected before his second election, he had a campaign event where he went in a gym and there was a guy who stood up and said, why aren't you doing more for the veterans? And he said, well, that's not our fault. That's not our fault. They're asking for too much. It's the conservative, it, it, it's the conservative party. It's Stephen Harper that did to the veterans what we're seeing yeah. happen to them. And this is how he treats yeah. veterans and, nowadays. And that's quite a famous uh, clip in that really, yeah. I have to admit, uh, that is in, incredibly um, frustrating to the veterans and the military community, that clip. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, you know, when you say to a veteran that a veteran is asking, asking more than much. we're willing to give when, and we talked about this the other night, we talked about unlimited liability. Mm -hmm. So from a soldier, I'm going to, I'm actually going to sign a contract that is called unlimited liability. It means I am willing if yeah. justified and it's a legal order to risk my life and possibly give my life legally if ordered to my certain death mm -hmm. and when justin trudeau said you now mm -hmm. are asking more than i'm willing to give and we're talking about a soldier's life yeah. versus dollars and help and and you know we we see what's happening to chris and Chris wasn't the only veteran, by the way. Jeff uh, Aver Averly was also one of the veterans from Afghanistan, did two tours, uh, was also beaten and arrested by mm -hmm. police. There were several. And, and if you hear Chris's testimony, they all linked arms just to make a human chain. And they were talking yeah. to the police. And all those veterans were taken to the ground and uh, and arrested and, and physically harmed. Well, I think they're, they're veterans. They're not terrorists. And I believe that we have yeah. the clip of the, the veteran. And even though it's not directly related to what uh, to, to the emergency act inquiry, I'd like to take a look at that clip from Justin Trudeau being questioned yeah. by this this man about why and pay attention to the medals. So much. If yeah, you see a star on, on the medals, that's a campaign star. It's a combat veteran. Yeah, let's take a look at that clip for a second. Nobody forced me to join the military. I was prepared to be killed in action. What I wasn't prepared for, Mr. Prime Minister, is Canada turning its back on me. So which veteran was it that you were talking about? Thank you, sir. Thank you for your uh, passion and your strength and being here today to share this uh, justifiable frustration and anger with me and with all of us here. Uh, thank you for having the courage to stand here uh, and thank you for listening to my answer. On a couple of elements you brought up. First of all, uh, why are we still uh, fighting against certain uh, veterans groups in court? Uh, because uh, they are asking for more than we are able to give right now. Um, they are asking for more than we... Well, no. Hang on. Oh. You're asking. Yeah. 
You're asking for honest answers. The old veterans charter involved lump sum payments and very little in the way of services. We have significantly invested in services, rehabilitation, support, uh, investments in training and support for caregivers and families that have gone a long way towards improving the quality of life and outcomes uh, for veterans. And we cannot return to the amount of money that was given before uh, without accounting for the money invested in services for veterans. And what I know from veterans I've spoken to is nobody wants, after having served their country with valor and honor uh, and sacrifice, to have their government say, here's your check, now don't bother us anymore. We need to support you through the course of your life with the things that you need, with the things that your family needs for it. And that is at the heart of uh, the new veterans approach that we have that you will see more details on in the budget coming forward. So I I, I get that. Now, you also brought up... No, absolutely not. Because in Justin Trudeau's Canada, instead of providing housing and food and shelter and supplies, he would rather them have the ability uh, to um, be provided assisted suicide. And, yes. and that's what we're seeing right now in Canada. Yeah. Well, instead, so. instead of th thanking the, the the veteran for listening to his response, why isn't he thanking him for his service? No, that's the same man who says we don't, we're not able to provide you with what you need mm -hmm. to live. But I'm gonna go get a six thousand dollars a night hotel in England. I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a twelve twelve thousand dollar grocery bill. Yeah, I'm going to spend so much money on myself and my family yes. all on your back all on the back of the taxpayer well and also he's not going to bat an eye to take his private jet to a you know a, a world climate summit yeah. like what is going on here he literally shush, shush the crowd when when they out that outcry mm -hmm. it gets to me so much he opens his mouth and i am that's my microaggression right there is justin trudeau 100%. yeah I, I you know i don't want to get too deep into the whole ukraine thing but from my perspective, let's not give all of our tax dollars to the Ukraine mm -hmm. if that's really what he's thinking about his own veterans. Um, I, look, I get there's a war going on there. I, I understand that. But did the anchor man tell everyone to get outraged? Did Facebook tell everyone to get outraged about Sierra Leone, South Sudan? Taiwan, the Congo, uh, Chad, Yemen, Jordan. Did the anchorman tell everybody to, to mm -hmm. focus in on those? Do we have Facebook flags that we can all put on our profiles? But no, we're sending all of our money to Christia Freeland's family in the Ukraine. Yeah. And, you know, he's got the nerve to sit there and talk about veterans and support and, and if the budget allows it. Now, I, I understand this is this is predating the the war in Ukraine, but let's put our priorities in order. Okay. Ukraine is not a member of NATO. We don't actually have a legal obligation to be involved in that particular war, mm -hmm. but that's the one that they've chosen. And that's the one that the media has chosen to be involved in. And, you know, we have far too many financial problems in our own country right now to be interfering in that kind of a thing. Yeah. And and I've I've deliberately stayed away from the vast majority of the issues around that war because, like I said, we're not paying attention to the other the other wars that are going around around in the rest of the world. Um, but it seems to me that our economy is in in deep trouble. Yeah. 
mm-hmm. uh, because apparently budgets do, you know, they balance themselves. <laughs> well, that's a whole, uh, that's yeah. a whole philosophy of the liberals. I'm yeah. sorry to cut you off. Right. No, okay. we, we only have about 10 or 15 minutes left. Uh, we have been talking for a little while. That's my fault. Um, but, you know, another, another interesting thing from Chris, Chris's testimony, Chris Deering is the reason it, it's when he spoke about the reason why he joined the convoy. You know, he mm-hmm. spoke about, his brothers in Nova Scotia, his brothers figuratively, yeah. his brother from the army, that he wasn't able to 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 go yeah. grieve with and yeah. to to visit because of Justin Trudeau's vaccine yeah. mandates, clip number four. Uh, if you can take a look at that, it, it, it's where Chris explains his reason as a veteran for joining the Freedom Convoy. Yeah. Let's take a look at that. And so, when when you traveled to Ottawa, what did you understand that you were there to protest? The mandates. Uh, I was there to protest the mandates. And why was that important to you? Because for the last two years, uh, personally, as, as, a, as a wounded veteran, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't take my family to a restaurant. I couldn't take my kids to gymnastics. I couldn't grieve my comrades in Nova Scotia because I wasn't allowed to cross the border in my own vehicle by myself to a cemetery where no one was living and lay my flowers for my mental health. And I was denied that for two years. So oh, that's unfortunate. There's uh, Tom Quiggan is a, a brilliant man and he's a friend of ours. He's a member of Veterans for Freedom and he did a video. Um, he, he wrote the script to a video supporting the Dutch farmers and the Dutch veterans. And in it, there's a line where he says, you know, the veterans can no longer be the tip of the sword, but they can be the shield. And that's all I could think about when I was listening to Chris's testimony today, because he came to Ottawa to be the shield for the Canadian public. That was what his heart and his training and his his morals and values told him to do, yeah. to get here to Ottawa and be the shield yeah. with a broken body. Yeah. This is the, the testament of the character that Justin Trudeau, who is characterless, unless we're talking about a cartoon uh, or a sock puppet or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I told you, I'm trying to get the humor back. I'm, I'm looking I'd for it. I'd rather make song puppet. Yeah, I think I'll stick with that. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is the character between one man versus the other, but unfortunately the wrong one has the, the authority to uh, to use force to attack his own people. Trying most the civil liberty of protesters. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I'm every day I'm saddened by the fact that the vast majority of Canadians have been, have been asleep for this long. It's incredible to me how people still to this day, I, w- I was getting people attacking me on Twitter today for Chris's testimony. Wow. This is, this is what we've, we've, uh, this is the leadership that has been provided by Justin Trudeau. Mm-hmm. This is why he is absolutely unfit to be the leader of anything. No, I, I, I fully agree. Right. Another interesting testimony. So we'll get to uh, testimony of Maggie and yeah. then we'll go to Danny Beaufort uh, shortly. Uh, Maggie, and by the way, for, for our viewers that have been following us since the beginning, since we started doing these live streams, one of the things that Chris uh, Keith, Keith Wilson told us in our first live stream, I believe, or our second one, he told us a story of a grandmother who was standing in front of the line of uh, uh, police who put a charter, the, the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in front mm-hmm. of the protesters, who was grabbed by the police, beaten up, transported far away from Ottawa and dropped there. And I believe from what I've heard today from Maggie's testimony, mm-hmm. 
Maggie is the person Keith was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's clip number six. We can see Maggie describe the exact same situation. I think she can probably confirm it, mm-hmm. but she describes the exact same situation that Keith Wilson, the lawyer for the Freedom Convoy, described on one of our first live streams. Let's take a look at her testimony yeah. as well, which is absolutely heartbreaking, just like Chris Deering's one. I'll be very brief. So when um, after I was behind the police line, <clears throat> it's all in my statement, that's there, but I, I was thrown to the ground and um, there was a, a lot of weaponry around and uh, I looked up and there was, there was a gun pointed, it appeared to be at my head. Um, and from there I was taken outside the city and dropped off and um, again I was at a towing place where they were towing the trucks and... Um, there was no shelter, there was no place to plug in your phone, there was nothing, and um, thankfully, people came and got us, so. Do you want to start or should I? Well, you go, how would you feel listening to it? Um, it's heartbreaking. Also, because I can't imagine actually testifying and uh, being able to talk about having the barrel of a gun um, at my head so calmly so the fact that she i just think there's probably such a sense of disassociation to such traumatic things like that Mm -hmm. that you could see it like that's why i had such a hard time watching them be ripped apart by those lawyers Mm -hmm. because the enormity of the situations that those peaceful protesters were facing talking about them or just seeing a couple of clips in my opinion does not do it justice so uh, it breaks my heart. Did, yeah. did you did you hear more of those testimonies that were similar to what Maggie was talking about? Did you yes. hear more of those stories? I did. In in you know, as after the convoy, and I was campaigning with the Ontario Party. Uh, every time I went to events, I would meet people that participated in the convoy, and you heard stories like that all the time. And it you know it was hard to do that campaign because I heard all of the stories. Uh, yeah. We all did during the campaign, right? And, uh, you know, I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent today, but that that particular lawyer that was that tried to uh, discredit both Chris and Maggie today from the OPS, I yeah. was so disgusted yeah. uh, listening to his testimony. So, you know, it's funny because Chris had given that speech uh, during Rolling Thunder, and it was publicly televised. I listened to it on the radio. I couldn't actually be here for Rolling Thunder. Mm-hmm. But he went on, the lawyer went on to suggest that uh, Maggie and uh, Chris were were being paid by the Ontario party to give that testimony because the Ontario party, without Chris or Maggie knowing about it, did some fundraising to try to cover their costs for their hotels and fuel and parking and stuff like that. Chris and Maggie had no knowledge of that, but somehow the lawyer, you know, was questioning Chris's authenticity in his motives for testifying, mm-hmm. but he could have looked it up online. And I've learned that the lawyers have seen everything there is to see about us. Publicly. Oh, of course. Uh, of course. Knew about Chris probably given the speech rolling thunder, but try to discredit him in, in tarnish his character by suggesting that he was here for money. And same with Maggie, uh, because the Ontario party quietly inside their internal email list 
tried to raise some funds to pay for their cost to be here. Because as you heard, Chris's bank accounts and his credit system or credit have all been affected mm-hmm. and he couldn't pay for parking the other day. I don't know if you heard that on the testimony, but I was speaking to Chris. He he actually couldn't pay for parking because his credit card had been dropped down to just over a thousand dollars. And it, you know, all of his credit has been affected. I don't know about Maggie. I know mine took a hit. I know everybody that was on the list, this list of 56 people mm-hmm. were marked for life uh, in the banking system. Credit scores diminished. I know mine dropped significantly. Um, and none of us have been charged yet. And this is this is what frustrates me because this is the kind of Canada that anybody who supports Justin Trudeau, this is what they're begging for. Yeah. They're begging for their abuser to continuously abuse them because they refuse to acknowledge that six million plus Canadians sent us to Ottawa to deliver a message that they themselves don't want to hear. And once again, that's how Justin Trudeau treats his veterans in yeah. Justin Trudeau's Canada. Mm-hmm. Freeze their bank accounts. <laughs> yeah. You heard the credit score. No due process. It's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. All right. I see that we're getting a little bit over time. We'll take a look at, at uh, Danny Bolford, one of Danny mm-hmm. Bolford's uh, part of his testimony. Then we'll read some of your chat. So if you have something that you want to tell us, if you have a message that you want us to, to discuss on air today, you can always do so once again at Rumble or Odyssey. And then we'll do our best to take a look at it uh, live on air. All right, let's take a look at uh, part of Danny's testimony today. So in the initial, I would say close to initial two weeks, I thought that Chief Slowly was pretty fair in his uh, remarks regarding the convoy, you know, understanding his position as the chief of police of the city of Ottawa. But I thought that he was pretty unbiased. And then after the, I think it was a, a council meeting or a police services board meeting, there was a lot of rhetoric regarding the Freedom Convoy protesters' allegations of being ext- extremists, insurrectionists. I believe even the term uh, domestic terrorism may have been thrown around. And I noticed at that time, that was... It also coincided with a lot of that same rhetoric from the legacy media. And, you know, and I, we'd already heard and seen the prime minister using similar language. And so I felt that that was, that was definitely heightening the anxiety of the overall crowd. The, the fear that they were going to be labeled such and dealt with as such by law enforcement because they were under so much pressure from the from uh, the different le- levels of government yeah no mainstream media i think we keep hearing stuff about mainstream media even even former police chief peter Soli spoke about how media negatively affected that's right his police officer yeah. Hearing, what are your thoughts on uh, both her sets? I know that you stated the commission a little bit more than me. So what are your general impression, uh, your general thoughts on Danny Bofer's testimony? Um, he, he was super precise. He said just enough. He didn't get too far into um, like his personal feelings on any of the matters. He was, he kept it short, but he kept it sweet. And that is perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that was, that was one of the best testimonies that I've seen thus far. Not that I have 
too much of a rating scale. They all, they're all very important for different reasons, but particularly with Danny, uh, I, I really liked his remark again about the mainstream media when he, he said, um, you referred to a conversation that he had with a, a young officer, um, mm just prior to the to the arrival of the convoy in Ottawa, where the, the young police officer admitted that they were indeed uh, not expecting the enormity of the convoy. And he retorts with something along the lines of, well, you shouldn't be watching the CBC for your intelligence. And yeah. I just thought, yeah, that's absolutely perfect because I know I myself um, and other people not just documented it, but were very eager to put online the enormity of the convoy. I was in shock. I was in shock even in Ottawa, walking down the streets, because I, yeah. there's no way to measure it. Yes. But the very fact that you couldn't measure it should have said enough. I think in a certain way, Belfort's testimony also echoed uh, the testimony given by Chris mm -hmm. prior to him. You know, yeah. The motives are very similar. You, know, you, you guys all worked in a certain way to serve your country. I know that Danny Belfort wasn't in the army per se, but he was a sniper with the RCMP. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're a veteran. Chris is a veteran. You, you all worked to serve yeah. your country yes. and then you see what what that led to <laughs> well there's a couple of uh important things that danny said in that in that little clip there and the the important word that he used was anxiety mm. because the and he mentions the fact that the city was conducting a psychological operation on the truckers mm -hmm. because there was things that they did to deliberately heighten the anxiety amongst the truckers especially the families and they were going around uh, making statements that they were going to euthanize the dogs in the vehicles That's if they right. didn't leave. And they were going to get uh, children's services involved and remove the children from their families in the trucks. And so they were constantly uh, targeting us with uh, a lot of fear-inducing rhetoric to to drive up the anxiety to try to get people to leave exactly. so in a sense you know there was a deliberate conscious effort to terrorize the the, the truckers yeah. psychologically induce fear is a, is a form of terrorism yeah and this is what they deliberately engaged in with the assistance of the media mm -hmm. and to go back even further we heard testimony earlier where there was uh the the government was happy that the media was going after the convoy as it was rolling here and then we saw that the the government between somebody named alex uh who was public safety for mendocino and somebody in the pmo's office right. saying mm -hmm. we don't want to put too much pressure on them yet because they'll drive out the crazies meaning we'll get rid of our controversial people ourselves yeah. and then they won't have anything to attack yeah. They won't have any, they won't be able to form a very big negative narrative against us That's right. to demonize us again in the media. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the testimony of every single person this week, every single person mentioned the vicious attacks from the legacy media against us. Every single one I did, mm -hmm. uh, you heard Jeremy did today. Yeah. Everybody mm -hmm. on our side was talking about the vicious attacks by the media and it was sponsored by the government in fact even the police hired a consulting company a media company uh um is it horizons no it's um well they did hire a pr, a PR company. yeah PR right. company right yeah. To, to do this kind of stuff and then the government is just there they've got cbc on their payroll um so you know we i remember being in meetings talking about using alternative media and um in social media yeah as a counter 
Mm -hmm. uh, so this is why, like, when I walked by the media the other day, I said, you guys have been lying for three years and probably been 30 years uh, based on my, <laughs> my, my terror in the space-time <laughs> continuum. For three years, you guys have been been lying. I'm not going to talk to you. What's the mm -hmm. point? Yeah. And I gave them the shortest soundbite I could because I knew that they would just whatever took whatever I said and chop it up and to make it into something vicious. Yeah. No, 100%. I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. Um, yeah, I think it's extremely hard to have an independent, unbiased media. Well, it's impossible to have an independent media when you're receiving subsidies or when you're being fully funded yeah. by the true, true government. Yeah. How can you give a fair share to yeah. alternative voices like a Freedom Convoy to alternative people when you're getting paid by Justin Trudeau? It's impossible to do. That's why alternative media is so important. All right, we're already past seven. It's almost seven or ten. Uh, seven ten. Sorry. Let's take a look at some of the chats that we have uh, that we that we received tonight. All right, the first one, Shona Marie G eighty three. Thank you for fighting the good fight. Much love and respect to all the rebels, Tom, and everyone involved. You feel like a family to so many of us. Hashtag Trudeau must go. Be careful, your bank account is going to be frozen if you use that hashtag. <laughs> Thank you so much for your general, generous Thank you. Uh, $50 yeah. tonight. It's truly appreciated. Um, yeah, you come on the show every time. You're almost a rebel. <laughs> well, we saw Emma, Emma Chipiuk today. Um, yeah. we, saw, we saw a quick, uh, short, short video of Emma Chipiuk. I think that she wants to be a rebel news contributor. She stole my microphone. So. She's trying to sell my job. Oh, well, hey, maybe there's room at the Democracy Fund or something. I don't know. <laughs> Eva, no, Eva's definitely yeah. a great deal. All right, yeah. we have any other, other chats from tonight? Oh, another one from Shona. Wow, you're generous. Uh, Shona Marie G83. There's nothing that brings about a gag reflux for me more than the silent <laughs> sound or absolute disgrace of a prime minister. <clears throat> he is a disgrace. That It's mutual. Yeah. It's mutual, just so you know. Yeah, definitely. I'm not gonna lie. It, uh, and I don't like to use the the phrase trigger, uh, <laughs> but I, I'm not gonna lie. It really does uh, physically affect me when I hear his voice, and I, I don't, I don't say that in a mean way. Yeah, I say that in a truthful way, and um, I think I'm a good judge of people with leadership skills. I mean, I spent my whole life in the military assessing leadership. I. He's not a leader. No, one hundred percent. He's not a leader. He, he is an embarrassment to to Canada. He's an he is an embarrassment to us mm -hmm. when we go uh, or when he goes overseas and represents Canada. He doesn't just represent the Liberal Party of Canada. He represents all the Canadians, and I feel yeah. embarrassed to have him as a leader, as a leader of our country. Do you have any other chats uh, from tonight? All right. Well, it was great seeing all of you. All of yesterday was great having you again, nice. Tom. And we didn't get the chance to cover everything that went on today because, well, we went on a, a few tangents throughout, throughout the night. That's my fault. There's so, all much of, yeah, exactly. There's, There's so, so much to cover. Yeah, exactly. There's so much to cover. Together. I know Jeremy McKenzie was also one of those who testified at the commission in front of the uh, in front of the commission today. Uh, shaved his beard as well. I didn't yeah, recognize him yeah, when I entered yeah. the room. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's if you want, if you want to see everything that went on. Um, at the commission yeah. today, you can always wait for some of our uh, some of our recap videos. But also, we live stream the whole commission all every every single day on Rebel News Canada's YouTube channel. So if you go on YouTube, you go on the channel called Rebel News Canada. Every weekday, you will be able to see 
everything that is going on yeah. during the trucker commission. Yeah. And I think for guests or sorry, witnesses, yeah. I, I've heard a rumor that they're going to summons uh, the vice president of Diagonal, Philip, the coke addicted time traveling goat. The goat. Sorry, satanic goat. Satanic goat. <laughs> He's going to be summons to testify next week. But since it's not our week, he can time travel. So he, he we might see him again. That's right. Never yeah. Know. Not very as he testified yeah. today. If you want to see his testimony alongside a testimony of Maggie, of Chris, of uh, Chris, of uh, Tamara Leash. Mm-hmm. Tamara Leash, she, mm-hmm. she was finished testifying today. Now, she won't be able to talk to the media for the next few months before her before her trial actually happens That's in right. 2023. Yeah. If you want to see everything that happens to you, you can go on Rebel News Canada and you'll be able to see our our daily live stream where, where we stream the whole procedures of the commission. Also, once again, a quick reminder, on November 19th and November 25th, we have the Rebel News Canada, uh, Re- Rebel News Live event, sorry, one in Calgary. The Calgary one is on November 25th, and the Toronto one is on November 19th. Uh, if if you come, you will be able to see guests such as Tamara Leach, who will be there to speak, uh, Derek Feldebrand, Palminder Singh, and a bunch of other guests. If you want to see everything about that, if you want to learn more about our Rebel News Live events, you can go to rebelnewslive.com. There you'll be able to buy the tickets as well. And finally, I just want to do, do another quick reminder that I'm wearing a tie today and you're not wearing one. <laughs> this is a really nice shirt. This is my favorite shirt. This is a nice shirt. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. I know it was a long week. Thank you for sitting through an hour and 15 minutes of Tom, myself, and Celine talking about the commission. And I hope that you all have a great evening. Well, that would go back partially to my concern about a lone wolf or small cell that could potentially try and uh, leverage the large crowd for their own agenda. But I also, I also had concerns because I've, I've done overwatch at a number of protests and counter protests in Ottawa. And I've seen with my own eyes how aggressive uh, groups re- related to the Antifa movement can be when they are much larger in numbers than the group that they're counter-protesting against and how aggressive they can be overrunning the police line as well. So when you were referring to instigators, who were you referring to? Well, people who were who would deliberately try to initiate uh, a violent interaction with a freedom convoy protester, or uh, maybe even someone who would try to infiltrate the crowd with a racist type flag to try and bring discredit to the freedom convoy protest.